You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I have my good friend and co-founder of Bonsai Creative with me on this podcast, Nicholas Bugs. Say hello. Merry New Year! (laughs) (laughs) This is a special Indie Talk because this is the first talk of 2021, And we're going to talk a lot about that. We'll talk some about the biggest sort of effects that 2020 had on independent film and the film industry at large, but really also, Nick, talk about a look ahead, a look forward into this year and why it's going to be so great, right? Oh, for sure, man. Like this is um, a new day. It's a new year. And, you know, it's interesting to hear you know, a lot of people in this kind of new year talk, you know, talk about, you know, 2020 and I hope 2021 is so much better. And, you know, yeah, of course, we'd love to say that. But at the same time, it's like 2020 has set the foundation for what 2021 is going to be like. What do you mean by that? And we just got to, we kind of got to recognize it. Well, the, the thing is, is that, you know, we look at, you know, 2020, like it's like everything is done, like it's gone and it's behind us. Like, mm-hmm. oh, now 2021 is going to be so much better. It's like, no, like COVID is still here. Like we're going through this second wave of craziness that is, you know, what is it? There's a new strain out that's more contagious than the last one. You know, we're still on an effective lockdown with working from home and homeschooling. Like we're now in a new normal, right? So uh one of the ways that I, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a lot of the same. So really, what does that mean, you know, for 2021? Yes, we, we don't want another pandemic. We don't want forest fires. We don't want flooding. Like there's a lot of stuff that happened. You know, we, we definitely tend to think about COVID as the thing. Definitely a lot of crazy messed up things happened in 2020. We don't want that to happen again. But again, with that said, we're still stuck with a lot of what happened in 2020 in 2021. So what does it really mean to go into 2021? And for me, that's like, like, what's the mindset now, you know, for 2021, how are we going to take advantage of, you know, new opportunities? How are we going to make the best of the situation that we're in? That's really where I feel like we need to go in 2021. So not just hoping for the best, but really like, how are we going to make the best out of what we have? Yeah, it's it's a really important point because this is what I'm hearing from all industries, not just film, is that we're not going back to 2019. Whatever happened in 2020, part of that is going to stick with us for the foreseeable future. Uh, case in point, how streaming services uh, are going to play a role in how we consume entertainment going forward. Uh, the cat's kind of out of the bag and it's hard to put back in the bag. You know, there are all these things that um, we do now that just feel like habit. Like if you've been wearing your mask since March, 
that just feels like habit now. You might not stop doing that simply because it's 2021. And you might not want to. Like, who wants to be like the first adopter of the next virus or pandemic? <laughs> right? Like, like if you think that mask is yeah. is going to help you to to not contract that, then you will probably do that. You will probably do those things and keep doing those things over and over. So thank you for the clarification. Uh, today, we're going to talk about COVID-19, though. It sounds weird to say COVID-19, but it affected 2020. But um, COVID-19, <laughs> COVID we're talking about that and its impact on the film industry in 2020 as we look back, talk about some of the biggest um, stories from 2020 that involved independent film and filmmaking in the industry in general. And we'll end with a little bit of a look ahead to 2021. So I'd love to start there with COVID-19. And the very first thing that comes to my mind, Nick, is the shutdown of the big box theaters. Yeah, man, that it, it was huge uh, for the industry as a whole, as we know, um, you know, how much it impacted the indie filmmaking community, you know, that has you know, yet to be spoken, you know, and I'm not going to say yet to be seen because I'm sure independent filmmakers who were looking forward to going to theaters uh, under a different context, you know, didn't get to. So that context is your film festivals, mm -hmm. right? Like that's where a lot of these things happen, right? They happen at the big, big box theaters and they were unable to attend those festivals and get their product seen. Uh, but what we generally talk most about, of course, is the impact that that's had on studio films and, you know, how, how things have been uh, delayed. And if they weren't delayed, things were just stopped altogether. People weren't going to the theaters that crippled, you know, the theaters themselves, there was, you know, word of bankruptcy. There's still word of bankruptcy. Uh, it just, you know, again, it crippled a huge portion of the, not just film, but the entertainment industry. And, you know, who knows again in 2021, you know, if we'll ever get that back the way that it used to be. Yeah. I'm not sure we will. If, if we go back to February and March, the first thing that happened, sort of the first shoe to fall were all these films that were sort of industry studio machines that were supposed to go to the biggest festivals in the world, be purchased and be distributed and, and get all the laurels and things like that. And when they weren't able to do that, that was kind of the first shoe that dropped, but there was hope actually going into March and April when all the numbers came out from the streamers that like people were stuck at home. This is back when we still thought, Hey, summer would come around and maybe the virus will just go away because of the heat and, and, yep, that's right. and, and all this stuff. And we were seeing, okay. Cause I think even we reported this on our indie talk back then was uh, one of our indie talk episodes back then was, Hey, right now you have a two month, three month window. <laughs> to try to push your content out to one of the streamers. And if you didn't get bought by a streamer for a film you've already completed, go back to your distributor and see if they can get those movies back into the Hulu's, Netflix, Amazon's, Apple TVs of the world, right? See, yep. what, see what you can do because uh, there was just an overwhelming amount of content being watched and viewed. Fast forward to today's conversation, we now know that that window has been expanded and maybe, maybe permanently kicked open for independent filmmakers because 
what happened is that there's no content that got made. And now everyone has exhausted what they're interested in from their particular streamer. And I think you're going to be able to get your content sold even at a higher price potentially than you would otherwise uh, in any other time. So this is, this might Nick turn it now, fingers crossed, knock on wood. This might turn into a boom time for indie creators, but um, I, I guess we'll see what the quality of the content that gets pushed out is a uh, B I'd like to see sort of what role the independent distributors play in this. And then C maybe the upside isn't in film, but it's in short form content, either in short film or in limited series. Yeah. I think it's like D all of the above. Um, <laughs> but I think that there's, you know, there, there's different levels of, and I hate to say, but what quality or expectation for quality uh, at all of those different levels. And I think that when you're looking at feature films, I, I honestly believe that unfortunately, you know, for independent filmmakers, it's still a place where the studio films are just, you know, not necessarily knocking it out of the park, but they own that real estate, right. Or, or the majority of the real estate, they own it there. But I think that there's a huge opening in that shorter form content where the audience is more willing to open their eyes and ears to other people's content, especially if that content hits a nerve. So I think that that's where really that door is opening for the independent filmmaker is in that shorter form content, you know, whether it's docu-series or limited series, you know, I think we've kind of gotten away a little bit from the web series because there's so many streaming outlets that if you're going to make a web series, it's like, you might as well try to get it to one of these streamers, you know, to, to make it happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's where the independent filmmaker can really make a name for themselves. But again, not competing with the big box studio types of film and type of content, you know, they got to do stuff that, like I said, hits a nerve. It's got to be stuff for, for someone, right. For a community, uh, you know, for a, a group that has support from advocacy groups or, you know, other community organizations, you know, get the voice of the people out there, uh, do a little bit more than entertain, you know, educate and inspire. And then that's where the indie filmmaker will really, you know, make their mark in 2021. And you're saying specifically the indie filmmaker, because when we add some data to this conversation and we take a look at now, all streamers don't provide data. And that's one of the, you know, I don't want to get into a philosophical conversation about proprietary data and, and the data holders and keepers and, and how it sort of prevents progress. But anyway, because uh, I'm not sure that's where I stand. I'm just, I, I know that's an argument that's out there, but Netflix does share their data on their top 10, top 20, top 25 list. And when you look at their top 10 for 2020 as a whole, only one movie made it into the top 10. It was number 10. And it was a very average movie at best at, with, with Hubie Halloween. But if you look at every other uh, one of their um, top 10, they're all limited series or docu-series with Tiger King coming in number one. And... Yep. I don't know if those shows are made for anyone, but those specific audiences, but you don't think independent filmmakers can get away with that. Right. Well, I is think that, is that, that, that what you're saying is one that you can get away with. Yeah. You can get away with that because again, that, like that docu series, who made that docu series? Tiger King. 
I, I don't, yeah. I, I, I don't know. And to be it, honest, exactly. I, ha- I haven't watched it. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is that people won't know. Like they're like, that's not a thing. Like they don't care. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a docu-series. It's not a feature film. Like it's like a documentary, you know, like, uh, you know, I watched my octopus teacher the other day. It's a phenomenal documentary. I love that thing, but I couldn't tell you who the, director was you know or the producer was or you know call out the writer's name of these things like that's not important for those types of that type of content so there's less of a, a need to go for these big names and stars it's it's what it comes down to is like <laughs> if i could be silly for a second it's like studio films are about stars independent films are about stories Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So if you get it right on a real story, again, something that kind of hits a nerve and it could be, I mean, Tiger King was salacious, you know, but there was an air of mystery to it in a real world way. Right. Like everybody thought that woman killed her husband, like period. Like everybody thought that and they were in on it, you know, like this, she killed this dude. It, rem- and then Tiger <laughs> it reminds King and me his Nick. whole story. Nick, it reminds me, reminds me of the story of the the Chinese emperor that um, where him and the entire town could only drink from one well of water, and so one uh, night uh, in the in the uh, while everyone was sleeping, a witch came and sprinkled some crazy poison into the well, and the following morning, everyone had drank from the well except for the emperor. The whole town it went mad, and but because everyone was mad, they thought the emperor had gone mad. So to solve the problem, the emperor drank the water too, and then everyone thought he was normal. <laughs> and I love that. I love that idea because I think about the Tiger King, and I'm like, everyone in the world thinks this woman did it. It's like, does that mean she did it? <laughs> right. <laughs> like if everyone thinks you did it, whether you did it or not, it's kind of becomes irrelevant because you can't escape it. And that's like the problem with like sort of contemporary social media and contemporary sort of, I don't know, trial by trial by um, follower or trial by social media platform. It's, it's so odd. Sorry. That was a total aside, yeah, no. but I just thought of it as you said it. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's crazy. You're right. Everybody thinks she did it. And it's so unfair to her if she didn't. So, and by the way, what we call truth is just basically what everyone agrees upon. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, again, that's another part of this um, about the content. Like sometimes that content is literally just to educate you on a, on a subject uh, that's out there that you might not know anything about, but you know, a lot of that also is to, you know, create these emotions in you, you know, one example, again, if I talked about, um, you know, my octopus teacher, there are some people who do not like the idea of, you know, uh, people looking at animals and I'll just say that as if they're human, right? As if they have traits of caring, compassion, 
you know, fear, sadness, joy. They're like, they can't even fathom the idea that an animal would possess such traits. Mm-hmm. Um, so a but then when you see something, yeah, there you go. But then you put something <laughs> like, you know, my octopus teacher on the screen and you see this octopus interacting with a human in the way that it does, like it, it can, it can knock some, break some doors down for you. Right. Or some walls down for you. We're like, Holy crap. Like I never would have thought that before. Right. As someone, you know, someone who thinks that way. And then they see that and they're like, Holy crap. There were no, you know, you changed my perspective. It would, no, not at all. Right. Oh, thank so, goodness. But, yeah, thank right. Goodness. But you could like, it could change your Still perspective eat my calamari. on things. Yeah. Uh, and, and feel good about yourself. Yes. But yeah, it's, it's that type of thing where it can change your perspective. And I think that is, again, that is the hallmark of the indie filmmaker is to either change your perspective on something or introduce you at a minimum to a perspective that you never thought of before. And it's not a perspective from a, from a lens or from necessarily even a creative standpoint. So from a human standpoint, right. And again, if you can do that and, you know, stop competing, trying to compete because you're not competing, but stop trying to compete with the studios and, you know, don't try to be overly creative. Don't overdo it. You know, just do it. Just do the story, like bring the story to life. I think that is where indie filmmakers can really, it's going to be a boon for them because we're watching a lot of content and some of that other studio stuff is going to start to get stale because it's the same, right? I mean, it's from the same studios. It's the same type of stuff. It's going to be cool, no doubt. But indie filmmaking, man, there's so many unique perspectives out there. It's insane. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll push back on you a little bit. And and you can tell me if you didn't mean it this way, but I wouldn't say don't be so creative. I think you can be incredibly creative, but but in your own budget range. And in your, you know, I said overly, right, right. And what I'm saying is basically clarify that create noise. Okay. Yeah. Don't create noise. Right. Don't, don't try to be witty in a way that, uh, that again, creates noise between the audience and what you're trying to say. Right. It's like, let the story come through. And then it's kind of like, you know, add your touch to it, your unique flair, But again, I think from what we've seen in some cases, not all, of course, in some cases, it's like there's just this desire to prove something through the medium. Oh, right. And I think when the desire of the filmmaker to prove something about themselves is stronger than their desire to tell the story, that's when they become overly creative. Got it. Got it. So you're not really you're using creative in in some euphemistic way where it's like, it's not about your personal creativity, but it's about pouring more into something than what's required to tell the story in a beautiful way Yeah, so that you can sort of falsely compete. It it reminds me of um, uh, people who will spend all their money to prove to someone else that they're not broke. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Kind of that, that idea. Um, which is a concept I've, I've thought about recently for whatever reason. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I do want to read through this top 10, though, because when you look at it, one of the most fascinating things about it is, and, and this kind of speaks to 2020, is that I think 
every type of genre and subgenre. We've talked about how Netflix does this great job of sort of creating multiple subgenres, genres you've never heard of before, because their data is so sharp that they can target really these microcosms within a subgenre, even. And so if I read this top 10, you'll see that everyone is represented. So Tiger King, that's a type of movie or type of doc, right? The Queen's Gambit is number two. That's a very specific type of audience. The Umbrella Academy, it's action, but not, but a type of action, right? Number four is Outer Banks. That's your teenagers. Number five is The Haunting of Bly Manor. So there's your horror crowd. Number six is Ozark. And this is kind of Netflix's answer to Breaking Bad. Um, that's a, definitely a, a, a type of audience that's different than all the rest I've named. Um, number, I think we're at, where are we at? Seven. Number seven is Space Force. I didn't watch that, but I assume that that's, you know what I mean? That's a, that's a, uh, a specific type of audience, right? Then there's 13 reasons why that touches that teenage audience again, but in a different way than Outer Banks, right? Like that's the group of kids who feel sort of displaced and, and, maybe feel alone due to social media. I think that's the kids that really like that. They can really identify with what's happening in that show. Uh, number nine yeah, is, and, and but real ahead. quick, 13 reasons why didn't that movie come out in 2018? What's well, it? I'm joking. I think it's a show. I, it, oh. yeah, it's a show. I'm yeah. joking, but it's like, that seems like it came out so long ago. Like that right. was 2020. <laughs> that's crazy. No, no, it didn't come out in 2020. It's that, As far as I know, I know they had a second season, if I'm not mistaken, but this is what got watched in 2020. Oh, no, there you go. I just looked it up. So 2017 through 2020. Yeah, there you go. So it looks like there was a 2020 season as well. That's what I was just wondering. I'm like, man, I thought that was a limited series, but yeah, that's been going on for a hot minute. But I remember when it first came out, it was just, you know, there was so much conversation about, oh yeah, that was just insane. But anyway, yeah, it's 2017 to 2020. Number nine is Ratchet. And number 10 is Hubie Halloween. So one movie, basically nine short form type series, uh, limited series, docuseries shows, all hitting different types of audiences. And so I think this, again, touches on something we said in 2020 in one of our indie talks, which is there are all these genres you can make your film or show in, but there's also these sub-genres we need to start thinking about. We need to start thinking the way that streamers think. We need to start creating content the way that content is pushed out to us. And then when you go to pitch your project, it's so much easier to pitch it because you are so specific. That specificity really attracts money people. Um, I can just say that personally. I've just seen that happen. And um, I think this top 10, Nick, shows that. Yeah, it does. But it's, again, those those series, man. You know, it's, we again, we have been talking about it for a while. And, you know, I really do hope that it does provide, you know, the right platform, the right environment for indie filmmakers to really get in. Uh, I hope that they, you know, find opportunities to take some of their feature film ideas and convert them over. You know, I think that, you know, there's the potential that some of these uh, series 
were initially thought of as feature films. That's right. We talked to Chris right. de Blasio and, yep. you know, his uh, show government records that's getting funded and, and shot. That was a feature script. And he yeah. said, whoa, 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 we can, these characters, people want to follow these characters beyond this movie. Like this is a show and it takes that keen eye and a little bit of humble pie to take your work and say, what would happen if this is a show? Um, you mentioned something, by the way, Nick, uh, about two minutes ago, I think, about web series and, and why do them anymore. What do you think about that? Because the thing I love about a web series is that it's open source almost for creators. Like there's no obstacle, there's no barrier. It's almost like putting your stuff on social media. So if you were thinking about making a web series today, just as a quick aside, where would you place that in your opinion? What, what do you think? Well, I mean, right now, I think there's so many places to put it depending upon what your goals are for that content. So, you know, like, what does a web series even mean anymore? You know, one could say <laughs> that, you know, like, because of social, right? Like, I mean, some of these, you know, live stories on IG or Facebook or wherever, are those web series, right? It's like, does it have to be fully scripted in that normal way to be a web series? I don't even know. So like, now it's just a matter of you have a myriad of, of ways to get your content out there. If you want to monetize it, I feel like the best place is YouTube, you know, mm -hmm. for a web series, not just for monetization, but for a web series, YouTube is the place to go. Uh, but if you just want to get content out there, which is still a good thing, right? Direct content that is not directly monetizable. In, in other words, you're not going to get ad revenues. You're not going to get people buying something from you, uh, but you can potentially leverage it as a branding thing, I think would be great to do on either YouTube or a social media channel, right? So basically you're creating these short form web series in order to build an audience so that when it comes time for you to sell something, they're already ready to buy it from you. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's, there's a bunch of different options, you know, even, you know, probably do some of this stuff on TikTok If you're using TikTok, it's like Snapchat is probably another, I mean, there, any social platform is ripe for web series type content. Uh, but again, it depends on the purpose that you're putting it out there for. Yeah. We're going to talk about that a little bit later when we talk about more of the sort of events of 2020 as it relates to film we're going to talk about snapchat and tiktok a little bit as it relates to one of these events but i want to go back a little bit on monetization because that's kind of the flip side of this boon we just talked about so covid 19 2020 that's all you know that really set the ground floor the foundation for all the events that happened in 2020 in film when we really thought about it nick and it's like okay here's this boon this opportunity to create content you know, streaming is going to need that content. So you're making it, but what's the obstacle? The flip side of that is monetization. Why is that difficult? Because right now executives don't have a COVID model for making money. Really? Um, it's still very much up in the air, how you can convert all those viewers from big box theaters that whole distribution business 
and move it to streaming and still have the same sort of profit model and same our profit models uh, that that you had before. It, so executives are kind of in this bond where they don't know where to spend, basically. And you you might even be seeing it right now. And we're going to talk about Warner Brothers, for example, in a minute and their move with HBO Max. You're seeing we're probably living in the midst of a lot of misallocation of capital because they literally, Nick, do not know where to spend the money because there are no models. This is completely unprecedented. And, and so are they going to spend on your movie or your show? Maybe. Are they going to, you know, if it tanks, does that kill it for everybody else? Maybe, you know, I don't know. So, so that's the obstacle is, is right now you have a lot of frankly executives that just have cold feet. Uh, they, they're just not going to spend any money at all until they know exactly where to put it and what's the best sort of outcome for that, that money that they spend. Nick. Yeah. And it's, you know, we can roll into that Warner brothers, you know, conversation. Cause I think about when you talk about the executives, you know, and, and what is the monetization model, you know, when you take what should have been, you know, a feature film that went to the theaters and you put it on streaming, it's like, there's an immediate cap, yeah, right? You on chop what you the head off of it. Yep. Yeah. So that model isn't what those, some of those executives or, you know, executive producers, financiers are used to, you know? So now you have to rethink everything. It's like, what is that number? You know, and, and does the buyer, you know, are they willing to pay the number that would actually satisfy the the executive? You know, so if you make your, what is it, $200 million film and you expect to make a billion, you know, in the theaters and the streamer's like, well, I'll take your $200 million, I'll give you four, mm-hmm. right? $400 million, I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, you're going to make your 200 million back. You're going to get 200 million. You know, there's going to be some profit participation there to a degree, depending on what your, you know, your marketing spend was, but, um, that's not a billion. Right. <laughs> yeah, you right. Know? right. So I think that changes the game. So yeah, that's, it is definitely different and it's different. I think, especially for the studios, I think there's a different market that independent filmmakers play in. So the impact may not be as significant. Right. It's, it seems to always trickle down, right? Because if, if a studio can't go on set because of COVID-19, then all of a sudden indie filmmakers who are looking to have SAG productions can't go on set. And if they can't go on set, then all of a sudden they can't do commercials and music videos, which frankly pay the rent for many independent filmmakers while they wait to make their next sort of creative work and project. And so all that stuff that they do seems to trickle down and affect the independent filmmaker more often than not. I think the other thing about rolling a film out on a streamer that you own, I mean, it's, it's business as usual, frankly, right? Studio owns the, the production house. They own the distribution chain and then they own the prints and advertising. So they own the marketing and branding side. So they literally just write checks between each other and it's all going to the same bank account. And that's why it's really hard to see if a movie was profitable because the spend, the the movie was profitable, but the spend out the window goes to another company, but that company's owned by the larger studio or larger company in this case, AT&T, right? So same thing here. Warner's going to release, let's say WW84, uh, which I haven't seen yet, but, uh, 
the people that I trust are not super excited about what they've seen so far. Um, but it's made, it's made some money. Uh, so WW84, it's going to call on HBO Max. HBO Max is owned by AT&T. That's fine. And so the thing that's changed is the speed of the payout because that movie will make money forever as long as it's on that streamer, but that money will trickle in instead of rush in like a river, you know? So it's, it, 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 there are people that are uncomfortable with that, uh, especially on the EP side, executive producer side, and, and on the executive side. As far as the filmmaker and the creative goes, they just flat out, I, here's the thing, I, Nick, I know you hate this, but I don't think filmmakers wake up in the morning excited to make a movie that shows up on someone's iPad. That's the problem. That might be a mental block and that might be stupid for them to feel that way or whatever, or for us as creatives to feel that way. But I just know creatives do feel that way. It's like a musician would rather hear their song on title than on Apple music because it sounds so much better. Right. Yeah. And I hear you. And like you said, it's a, it's a block, you know, and this is one of the things that, you know, I try to reiterate in the nicest way possible, you know, as often as possible. And just, to say that, you know, independent filmmakers by and large are not in the same market as studio filmmakers. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, stop trying to compete, right. Stop trying to be on their stage, right. There's other stages for you that you can excel at. If you just try, Mm -hmm. you know, if you keep going for their stage, I think you'll keep, you'll keep tripping yourself up, but if a lot of people, you know, especially in specific age ranges are watching content on iPads or even phones and, you know, MacBooks and other sorts of tablets, like if they're willing to watch this stuff on a smaller screen, then make it on a smaller screen. You know, we talk about the, you know, the IG celebrities and influencers and all these people who've got followings that are just insane. Like you think about like, you know, I don't know how many of these quote unquote influencers have multi-million followers. Right. And they're just making, you know, for the most part, you know, image content or short form video content that might last, you know, 10 seconds to maybe 30 seconds. People are willing to watch that. They want to. Yes. It's not the same type of filmmaking that, you know, your traditional independent filmmaker or filmmaker, you know, is accustomed to or desires to make. But imagine if you took that set of skills, that very specific set of skills that you have, <laughs> right, and applied it to that medium. Right, because, it, because in my opinion, like there's only, there's the managed influencers that work for agencies and have managers. And then there's the influencers that are just trying to figure out how to monetize their following. Right. A lot, even, even they don't know exactly how to do it, right? Like it, it feels like only fans blew up this year simply because influencers needed a way to monetize their influence. And that was their, like their best idea because they got their following off, like you said, image content and like things like that. So it's like, okay, this is the talent. I have like probably a 10 year window to do this at most. And so you, you open to only fans and hope people will pay to see you do more image content on that platform. But the other percentage that actually has agencies and that are managed, they do sort of product uh, placement and, and things like that. Right. So what's the difference? Yeah, And that can you know? all be, and that can all be done 
and fan film independent filmmaker right? exactly. absolutely <laughs> but but let me tell you the shortcoming the shortcoming is, is is that they're not the same skill and the reason why that influencer needs an agency or a manager is because somebody has to make that sales call right so if you if you if you don't have good communication skills you don't speak the english very well uh even though you took english and were born in iowa uh you know in high school then you're not going to be able to make a sale even but if you have you even if you have a, a sale. even if you have a million followers so so that's right. what's happening so i think the filmmaker can make the content the business side but but right show business you know so if they there make if they make if they make something they also have to think about okay if i'm going to place it here how will i monetize what's 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 winning mean to me like one of the first things we ask uh clients on consults is what goals do you have what is your goal that's right sometimes your goal is just to get your thing seen sometimes the goal is to make a bunch of money sometimes your goal is to level up uh quote unquote those are different types of goals sometimes your goal is just to get distribution no matter who it is or like so it's it's a matter of what is your goal and then how can you get a team together to do the things you're not very good at. Like you're good at content creation, but you may not be good at leveraging your content to, to monetize. Um, so it's just, it's, it's an interesting thought. Um, I do think there's still um, a place for a web series, but like you said, it, it may not just to go back to that. It, it may not be smart to call it a web series anymore because you can just drop it anywhere. And what is even a web series and then with Warner Brothers, I'd just like to keep an eye on it because if theaters open back up in, say, April, are they able to pivot and take everything off of HBO Max? Is that okay? Is there going to be internal strife if they do that? Um, as we look at their slate in 2021 going straight to streaming, uh, would they just switch to day and date? Because my guess is that Sony will release their whole slate in the theater and, you know, maybe blow up. Maybe people will be scared to go to the theater and they'll be, and they'll lose that bet. So it's just something to look forward to and keep an eye on in 2021. You did talk about short form content and how everybody wants to watch it. And one of the big stories that came out of this year was the $2.2 billion loss in Quibi. So everybody wants to watch short form content, Nick. Why didn't Quibi work? <laughs> and that was, I think we, we talked a little bit about that on another podcast, which is about, you know, uh, potentially marketing to the wrong people, you know, uh, potentially even making, you know, the wrong content for that platform. I think, you know, Quibi was designed specifically, you know, for watching these, uh, you know, that short form content on a, on a cell phone, you know, on the, on the small screen. And, you know, I think that they, probably underestimated one of their biggest competitors, which was actually YouTube. Uh, yes. You know, so it's like, you know, so it's like, yeah, okay. A lot of people watching that type of short form content, especially if it's like 10 minutes, 12 minutes long, they can get a lot of that stuff for free right there on YouTube, yeah. you know, and then you've got, you know, the content that's again for a certain age group. And then we've already got all of these other streaming you know, services. And if they're making it for an age group that isn't paying for it themselves, but they're asking other people to pay for it, then it's, you know, that whole conversation of well, what's in it for me, right? Why would I pay for Quibi? So you can go in your room and watch content by yourself, 
child, <laughs> right? <laughs> when we've got, you know, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Disney Plus, ESPN, HBO, like, uh, I'm going to pay for one more just so you can ignore me and watch TV, you know, movies or, you know, shows on your phone. I don't yeah. think so. I don't think so. So and I think, yeah. yeah so <laughs> go, go ahead. Go ahead. So that's the challenge. Yeah. It, it you know, is. That, that was the challenge with that. I, I agree. And, you know, th- this is what we're coming down to in 2021. So if we look ahead, it feels like if you're not in the top three, then you risk sort of forever being, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and on, on, so on and so forth. Like I think there's 700 streamers at this point, probably globally. So it, it really is this arms race to get to the top three top four streamers period, because they're going to eat everybody else's lunch. And then probably in two or three years, what you'll see is a massive acquisition or, or failure of the rest. And you're going to be left with sort of these 15 options, especially as linear, linear TV comes in like Pluto TV, uh, Pluto TV rather in, in uh, uh, zoom. Uh, what's it called? Uh, X X U M O Zumo. Yeah. Zumo Zumo comes in and just, that just, that's actually just free. Like when you buy a TV now, like on like an LG or a Samsung TV, you don't even have to sign up for cable. They just, you can just go to the TV button and those two channel listings just show up, by the way. I don't know if people knew that, but, uh, cause who buys a TV anymore, but it's, um, <laughs> but, but, but it's the case. And that's, that's kind of what's happening right now. And that's where, that's why there's so much, there's so many stakes sort of involved. And I look at Quibi and we look at the data and we realize that once COVID happened in 2020, the first thing people did was they went to the streamers they were already signed up for and watched them a lot more. The second thing they did was go to YouTube. And now the data, we have enough data to show that. The second thing they did, Nick, was go to YouTube. Third thing was they went to their music streaming services. So the things that increased right away and number four was just watching the news, right? Cause you want to see like what's happening next with the pandemic, what breakthroughs have happened. Um, you know, CNN, CNN had a field day and still is having a field day uh, because of COVID. So yes, they underestimated the power of YouTube, but also I look at that content that was created. And to me, I did a test run of Quibi, as I've mentioned before. Their content kind of worked like a web series, like a bunch of different web episodes, Nick, all on one platform. And in theory, it should have worked. But that subscription price for what's kind of already being created on YouTube for free, they underestimated that for sure. But that content that got created on Quibi, Nick, it's still out there. Somebody has to own it. And I think Snapchat and TikTok, and I've said this before, uh, again, sort of taking this look back at 2020, they should buy it. I don't know if they should buy Quibi, but they should definitely buy the rights to the content because I know that when you're on Snapchat, you can easily click on a five-minute episode And what Snapchat does, they sort of slam you with ads. It's kind of a smash cut into an ad and then a smash cut right out to it, right right back out to your content. Like these five-minute episodes of things that that Quibi owns, 
they could definitely pay back some of their investors by selling that off. And the question is, would Snapchat, TikTok, or other, or even Instagram with IGTV or, or Facebook, would they be willing to buy this content for pennies on a dollar and then just let it roll and let these creators keep creating? Um, in, a, in a lot of cases with Quibi, the creators still own the content. And can they go and repackage to where kids are already going for free? Because I don't think YouTube's a great fit for some of this content that Quibi made, Nick. But Snapchat is a really good one. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one uh, for me because I think that you know when you think about YouTube, you think about content that you can consume anywhere with any device. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think when you think about TV, I'm just gonna use that kind of you know in quotes, air quotes, right? TV series and films that's where people think about well it's nice to have the option to consume them any way i want but i want it designed for me to watch on television Mm. yeah right like like that's where i am with netflix and amazon like all that stuff i'm not watching that stuff on my phone like i don't i don't want to but if I'm, you know, stuck somewhere, right, I like drive somewhere, you know, and then I got to sit and wait outside for someone or whatever the case is, okay, I might flip my phone and, you know, watch something on Netflix or watch something on Amazon Prime. I'm not looking to do it, but it's nice to have the option. So I think that's that's potentially another place, again, where I think, you know, could be, you know, forgot about, the, about YouTube is that YouTube is designed for that because of the type of content, whereas Quibi's content was really, and people wanted to watch that type of stuff on a larger screen, but have the option to right. watch it on a smaller screen, that's a but they sold point. it the opposite way. Yeah. That's a great point. I bet Quibi would still be around if they were just a streaming channel that you could watch like Hulu. Yep. I bet. Exactly. And, and then this idea of like, okay, as soon as you click on that Quibi box just to open the application, content just starts right away. It feels like yeah. that, that would have worked. Um, really, really great point. All right. So in summary, COVID-19 set the foundation for all of 2020. We don't know if it's going to set the foundation for 2021, but we know it's going to be here. We know it's going to be part of the narrative in 2021. So what are we going to do about it? Nick, what, uh, What's your outlook for 2021? What would you like to see happen? What do you think is going to happen? And and what are you looking forward to? Well, honestly, for the indie filmmaking community, um, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. You know, I think that, yeah, I think independent filmmaking specifically, you know, is really all about innovation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like you said earlier about, you know, working within your means but doing so in such an you know um, innovative, inventive fashion that whatever you're creating looks like it costs more than that, mm-hmm. right? It's it's leveraging not financial resources all the time, but sometimes it's leveraging you know relationships. You know, if you need you know a location, you know, talk to friends of friends and friends of family, those types of things. You know, like tell everyone what you're doing and why you're doing it and get people on your team. I think that's what people forget. You know, we were just watching, you know, the, the latest, you know, successful Robert Rodriguez film. Right. And, you know, you take it all the way back to his first film. And I think people always go after the dollar, 
Right. Like people always remember it would cost $7,000 to make his film and da, 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 da. Yep. It's not that that's not what he leveraged. He leveraged the resources, the relationships, the network of an entire community of people to make that film happen. He used invention and innovation and, you know, the collective minds of people who were bought into what he was trying to do in order to make that film successful. That is the mark of the independent filmmaker. You know, that is what, you know, people should be doing right now. And I think that you take that and you couple that with real stories about real people, real perspectives. Again, you take that innovation and invention, you marry it with something that, again, hits a nerve, something that is going to make someone feel something, someone uh, make someone learn something, make someone, you know, identify with or at least understand a new perspective. You're going to win. Yep. You know, because you're going to win with an audience who's behind you. That's the key is that you need to build your audience by being there for the audience. And once you've done that, then it just, you know, continues to grow and grow and grow on, you know, on top of that. So for me in, in 2021, I just continue to implore filmmakers to use their innovation and to use their communities and, and, and speak for other people. And I think that it's just, that is the mark of success in 2021. And there are a multitude of outlets that are not theaters that are streaming, that are the, on the web, that are social, that are just dying for this content. So I think there's there's great opportunity. I think there's great promise uh, if filmmakers would, again, stop competing with the studios and do their own thing. Uh, I love it. And I think also we will benefit from the sort of habit that has been created around PPE and the way we all sort of operate with one another in the world today. So, you know, in April and and May and June of 2020, there was like this great imposition. It was like, oh my God, I have to have a plastic bag for the batteries and I have to have these wipes and I have to have this mask. And now that's just common place. Like your whole, your whole team might show up with their mask on without you having to ask. And so I think even making that content with your community, with people, you know, you're not going to get a lot of pushback like, oh, what about the virus? What about the pandemic? Like people will be ready for that. And they're already, their spaces are already prepared for that, Nick. Like, so I think that could be, you know, interesting too, but 2021 will be a fun one for sure. Uh, I'm, there's going to be so much that happens and there are so I think we're going to, my prediction is we're going to have a deluge of content because every movie studio slates got pushed to this year. <laughs> like we're not going to know what yep. to watch. Like it's going to yep, be incredible. So put your seatbelt on folks. And if you love entertainment, if you love film, like we do, it's going to be a great year. And remember to go out and create Nick. This has been a fun conversation as always my friend. I uh, cannot wait for the next one, of course, and uh, in, in a couple of weeks. And this year we'll have, I would say, uh, a nice bucket, <laughs> a passion bucket, if you will, of surprises around this podcast. Great interviews, incredible interviews, incredible guests. We're going to ramp that up big time. Again, some surprises for, for the loyal listeners and the audience out there. So look forward to that in 2021 as well. If you want to reach out to us and be part of that, it's really easy. 
just go to www.bonsai.film. You really could go there and get every resource we offer, but just to make it easier for you, I'll go through our socials as well. Uh, Instagram, it's at underscore bonsai creative. Same thing on Twitter at underscore bonsai creative. Uh, you can find us on Facebook just by simply uh, searching for bonsai creative when we'll come right up. Uh, as well. Uh, you can find Nick on Twitter at Nicholas Bugs, and you can find me on Twitter at Flame in Your Heart, and your is spelled U R. And you, I've, I found out that you can also just search Christopher Barkley, and I'll come right up. So, so either way, that works. And if you go to any of those places, do reach out to us. Let us know your thoughts, make comments, be part of the conversation. If you have direct content questions, requests of us, please email us at contact at bonsai.film. So B-O-N-S-A-I dot F-I-L-M. Nick, why don't you send us off with the credo for the first time in 2021? First time in 2021. That's awesome. Man, I feel like doing it like this, you know. Be better, be creative, and don't forget to be engaged okay everybody but then i'm like you know i get all excited i'm like man be better be creative and be engaged you know i'm just hyped up for 21 man you know what i'm saying it's just i i could do it in so many ways i'm gonna stop there one day we'll do a morpheus depth challenge where we just see <laughs> who can speak deeper than the other yeah. person and then we'll just end it that way yeah nick talk to you soon Yes, sir. Let's do it again, man. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Bye. You too. Laters. Later. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.